Ah. Ah, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Right. The story, chapter 25. Jesus, the Son of God. The key theme this morning is the Son of God who lives, lives in you. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. 1 John 4.16 Chapter 25, we pick up the story about two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. Jesus knew the time for him to complete the work for which he came was drawing near. And he began preparing the twelve disciples for it. Three times he explained that the Jewish leaders were going to kill him and that he would rise again from the dead. Now Jesus had walked the length and the breadth of Israel and the surrounding areas, teaching and healing as he went. His disciples all this time had watched and learnt and told others about this amazing man who could perform miracles and teach amazing things about God. But they weren't still sure. Who is Jesus? What did he stand for? So this morning, let Jesus show you his identity. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul asks the Corinthian believers a question. Do you not realise about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? In writing, Jesus Christ is in you, Paul wasn't speaking poetically or metaphorically. He meant that Jesus Christ was literally dwelling inside them. And just like the Corinthians, we believers of today need to realise this fact about ourselves. Christ isn't outside of us, floating about, waiting for you to call as some kind of ethereal helper we call on in our time of need. He actually lives in us and is with us all the time in our public and private lives. Many verses in the Bible tell us unmistakably that Jesus Christ lives in his believers. Romans 8.10 says Christ is in you. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We human beings were made by God with three distinct parts. Body, soul and spirit. Our human spirit is our deepest part, created with the ability to contact and receive the Spirit of God. When we received Jesus as our Saviour, he came into our spirit. Now he is in us, so our spirit is alive. Jesus made three distinct statements about his mission on earth which was God's mission. First, he said he came to seek and to save the lost. This is probably the most well-known fact about his mission. He was the remedy for sin, culminating in his death, burial and resurrection. 
The salvation aspect of his mission is repeated and reiterated several times in Scripture in various ways, including Jesus' own analogy of himself as a door and as a shepherd. Second, Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth. Specifically, he ushered in the gospel of the kingdom of God. The words he spoke were from the Father, John 17, 14, 17, which he embodied by becoming flesh. This is highlighted when Jesus says he came not to bring peace, but a sword, in Matthew 10, 34. And when Paul says the old law was nailed to the cross, it was a fulfilling of all that had been communicated by God to that point and freeing us from fleshly sin to live in and with his spirit. Third, Jesus said he came for judgment, which links to the first two. Jesus came to judge all mankind against the truth of God's word. Those that accept him and believe him enter through the door. They receive eternal salvation. Jesus also said in John 17, 3, Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. As Jesus continues his ministry, his followers realise that he is no ordinary man. However, he must now reorient them to understand exactly who he is. Meanwhile, opposition among those who support the status quo continues to mount. A confrontation is inevitable, as everyone must respond to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Some time later, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, on the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Mark eight twenty seven. After Peter confesses Jesus, Jesus responds in Matthew's account in chapter 16. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 18. You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is not only telling them who he is, he's telling them who they are. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you know this Jesus? Is he living inside of you? Or do you want to know who he is and what he can and will do for and with you? Jesus wants you to see that the Son of God who lives, lives in you. But he wants you to see so much more than that. 
Once you invite the king of creation into your life, it will open up thoughts and ideas, dreams and hopes, and a new reality in your life with the Holy Spirit in control. Later, Jesus took Peter, James and John up to the Mount of Olives and gave them a glimpse of his future glory when he was transfigured before their very eyes. They fell face down in fear that Jesus had often made I am statements, connecting himself to the name Yahweh or I am. Then a voice from heaven stated that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, thereby confirming his assertions. As his ministry began to close, Jesus tried to explain what was going to happen to him. Three times he explained that the Jewish leaders were going to kill him and that he would rise from the dead. The confused disciples thought about what they could possibly mean. Peter even took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Poor Peter. Even after almost three years with Jesus, he was still trying to work him out and understand who he was and what he was doing. Meanwhile, the march toward Jerusalem continued. Jesus' time was fast approaching and he had to prepare the disciples for what lay ahead. He told them that the kingdom of God is accessible to those with a childlike trust and humility. We know from the Gospels as well as other historical writings that Jesus walked this earth some 2,000 years ago. From the ages of 12 to 30, we know very little about his life. He was a son. He was a brother. He became a carpenter like his father. And most likely, he was studying like most other Jewish children. He would have been memorising the Torah. By 15, he would likely have memorised the Tanakh. What's the Tanakh? The entire Old Testament. Even from his birth, there was controversy surrounding Jesus. A virgin birth. Jesus would grow up in a small town. And word gets around quickly in a small town. Some archaeologists think the population was around 150 to 200 people. Now that is small. That's no wonder. Nathaniel in John 1.46, when referring to Jesus, said, Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was a backwoods, a backwater. But at some point, all of that began to change. It wasn't that he was seeking the attention. In fact, he tried to avoid it. But people talk and people began to notice. Stories began to circulate about this Jesus of Nazareth. The lame walking, the blind seeing. Many of you have been reading about it these last few weeks. Word on the street was that he could calm a storm and even raise the dead. 
These towns in which Jesus healed and taught were on popular trade routes. A merchant might walk in wanting to discuss a good price for date seeds or olives or the latest in sporty camels. But what they left talking about? Well, they would still be talking about Jesus when they hit the next village. And word began to spread. And people began to ask, who is this man? Is he just a man or something else? Could he be? Could this be the Messiah? Now, if you had lived in Jesus' day and someone began talking about the Messiah, you would know exactly what they meant. Except for a brief 100-year period of independence, God's nation of Israel had been oppressed by different rulers and empires for decades. First the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. They remembered the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would build a nation. They knew the covenant God made with David. They knew the prophecy. They prayed for its fulfilment. They were under the thumb of Roman rule and they longed to see a descendant of David seated on the throne once more. Could it be Jesus? People wanted to know who it was they were talking to. They were trying to figure him out. Perhaps you are too. This is a large gathering of believers. But I would not assume that everyone here knows who he is. Jesus didn't even assume this of his closest followers. He was about to pose to them the most important question they would ever answer. The Son of God who lives, lives in you. Galatians 2.20 It is Christ who lives in me. I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here, Paul didn't say I live in a Christ-like way or I glorify Christ through my behaviour. No, he said Christ lives in me. Clearly showing us that Christ lives in his believers. And because he lives in us, the Christian life is not a matter of trying to behave like Christ, but of allowing him to live in and through us. Listen to John 1, 1 John 4.15 again. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So let Jesus show you his identity. He will show you if you're willing. Are you spending time reading the Bible, praying for insight, spending time with people who can and want to help you? Jesus wants you to see the Son of God who lives and lives in you. But he wants you to see so much more than just that. After Peter confesses Jesus, Jesus responds in Matthew's account in chapter 16. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Matthew 16. You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is not only telling them who he is, he's telling them who they are. I tell you that you are Peter. Jesus is not saying he's building his church on Peter, but the truth that Peter revealed. Peter will still have his ups and downs. He would struggle with Jesus talking about his death. And even after proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God, it's Peter who denies Jesus three times, fearing for his own life. But Jesus could see what Peter couldn't. He could see Peter's story all the way to the end. And he can see your story as well. Don't like the way your story's going? Would you let him show you the other side of your story? So let Jesus show you your identity in him. This is an important distinction. You identify in him, John 4:38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. C.S. Lewis once said in his book, Mere Christianity, and I quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must never say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who claims he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil incarnate. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He never intended to, unquote. John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. These verses were one of the main attractions for me as a young teenager. Growing up as the second son of a Methodist minister, I knew all the right answers. I could sing all the beautiful old hymns without looking at the hymn book, these hymns which never grow old and tired. I could pray and do all that was expected of a follower of Christ. But I didn't know him at all, really. However, 
at the age of around 18, I was invited to a Saturday morning prayer group which met in the Launceston City Mission in their prayer room. One day that room was unavailable, so we met in the chapel instead. As I said, I was the son of a Methodist minister, so I was brought up in the strict Methodist traditions. In church, you respected the idea that God deserves your absolute best behaviour and manners. But these people were sitting on the floor or using the altar as a backrest, or laying on the pews. Oh, shock horror. I'd never seen such behaviour. <laughs> Their complete comfort with praying to God as a friend who doesn't care about your seating arrangements, but your sincerity and your love for him. This opened my eyes to the fact that Jesus wants you, wants me, not your attitudes, not your being offended by the actions and attitudes of others. Well, after I got over the shock of this amazing revelation, I finally understood that God loved me for who I was and not for who I thought I was. John 3.16 became a reality in my life. I was not forsaken, but I was forgiven. I had finally understood what others saw in having Christ living within, and praise God, he is still living in me. Jesus was prepared to glorify the Father's name. He continues to offer eternal life to all who trust he is, who he says he is. So, in the spring of 30 AD approximately, Jesus and his followers head to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival. He's riding on a donkey. Crowds welcome him as the long-awaited Messiah. But Jesus then infuriates the religious authorities by overthrowing the tables in the temple and condemning the leader's hypocrisy. A disciple called Judas agrees to betray Jesus with a kiss. After celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus is arrested. He goes before the Jewish and Roman authorities in Pilate and Herod, charged with blasphemy. The Jewish authorities demand the death penalty. Jesus is then crucified on Good Friday. His body is laid in a tomb. When his followers go to retrieve it on Easter Sunday, the body has gone. They are told Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus appears to his disciples and more than 500 other followers over the next six weeks. Then on the top of the Mount of Olives, Jesus rises up to heaven in front of his followers and disappears from view. So, is Christ the centre of your life? Is he living within you? Or are you still running the show, giving him lip service, but not really allowing him access to your story? There is only one star in your story. Everybody 
has something in them that wants to stand in the spotlight on centre stage to create an identity for themselves or let someone else stand in the centre and tell them how wonderful they are. But that place is only reserved for one. Only the one and only Son of God gets to tell you who you are. That place is reserved for the Son of the God who lives. The reason we love being in the centre of our story is that we can say what goes. My body is my body. My time is my time. My resources, my money, my gifts, talents are mine. However, I would caution you, standing in the centre of your story may sound tempting, but it does come at a high price. Standing there is exhausting and it brings nothing but anxiety. Where is my life headed? What am I going to do? What does God want from me? Friends, if you want peace, step out of the centre of your story and invite Jesus to his rightful place. He will never force himself into the centre of your story, but he will never pass up an invitation. If you are facing trouble in this life, remember, you don't face it alone. The son of the God who lives, lives in you. If you're trying to mend a broken relationship, you don't mend it alone. The son of the God who lives, lives in you. If you're looking for a job, you don't look alone. If you're grieving a loss, you don't grieve alone. If you're still searching to discover the true identity of Jesus, you don't search alone. The son of the living God who wants to live in you, he will help you along with the Holy Spirit. He helped Peter. Jesus tells Peter when he says, you are the Messiah. You didn't come up with this on your own, Peter. It has been shown to you by the Father in heaven. Let Jesus show you his identity, his power, his authority over everything that you're facing. Let him show you your identity in him. Step out of the centre of your story and let Jesus show you what he sees when he sees you. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we know that you are Almighty God. We know that when your Father sent you here to this earth, you came willingly. Lord, help us to see who you are and who we are, Lord God. Give us the insight and the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. Lead us into the rest of our lives, into history, Lord God. We just pray these things in and through your name. Amen. Thank you, Judy.
Jesus Christ, I stand in the gospel of Jesus.